Hey, my internet worked. That's great. I was, I was. It was giving me so many warnings. I was worried it was going to die. Uh, we've just had a very long conversation about internet speeds. Um, hello, everybody, and welcome to season two, episode sixteen of History's Greatest Idiots, the show in which we take you back for a journey through time and take you to examples of utter stupidity and idiocy from history's greatest idiots and give you lessons so that people uh, you can learn from those mistakes and, and never repeat the, the mistakes those people performed and made. Hopefully. Uh, who are we kidding? We're humans. We, we like making mistakes. My intro changes every week. It's an example of them. Um, joining me as ever, it's my amazing co-host, Derek. Derek, how are you doing, my man? I am doing fantastic. That's uh, right. You yeah. had a new setup over there, haven't you? We've just been talking about this. Yeah, I got uh, new floating monitors and stand-up desk, and like I can raise it up and down. It's cool stuff. It's the <laughs> shit of the future, ladies and gentlemen. I swear to God, like I'm sitting here with two hand-me-down monitors and the cheapest 1080p <laughs> um, <laughs> webcam I could find. I, I, I splurge big on the Rode microphone, but. That's because I'm a bit of an, an audio geek, and, and this really appealed to me. But um, yeah, I, I saw uh, Derek sent me a picture of his setup in the week, and I was like, oh, I want that. I, I feel like it's like minimalist, but yes, maximized minimalism. For sure. Like, it's very... <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing. I don't know. No, no, I get what you mean. Like, you are making the most with, like, the space that you've kind of created for yourself, so... You have a very efficient setup, I would say. You can, like you said, you can raise and lower the desk. You've got everything like within reaching distance. The oh, only yeah. thing it's missing is cup holders, essentially. I know, and that's right? What the desk is for. It's it's got a headphone holder though. It's got a hook. Very for useful. So that that's, that that's so useful. Hand. Like I have so much shit on my desk that I barely have space to put my headphones on. Right? It's just it's it's always the thing that gets hung on the corner of the screen. Yeah, which I shouldn't do snagged as you walk by yeah like whenever i have to make a mad dash to my bathroom it's uh it's always the first thing to go <laughs> flying uh Crohn's disease joke anyway um it's been a week um we were uh, we were actually going to record this last weekend but the uk was going On through its fire. 19th heat wave of the year yeah you <laughs> and guys are getting it this year man yeah it's i mean we, ironically, we've just covered uh, the, the father of climate change denial. And um, boy, there's no denying it anymore. Anyone out there who's still saying it's not a thing, you're fucking blind. And you yeah. have, and like Prince Andrew, you have no ability to sweat, apparently, because boy, has it been hot around here. Recently. <laughs> and, like, it's funny because last weekend wasn't as hot as it was like a few a few weeks ago when I told you like it was 110 degrees here in this country or some stupid shit like that that's the hottest days. without air conditioning and no yeah nobody in this country unless you're working in an office has air conditioning and I I struggled then but there was something about last week and I think it was because by the time we were supposed to record the podcast it was like the fifth day in a row of that of like 35 degree weather and at that point, I was just like, I'd given up basically wearing clothes, of like <laughs> doing anything other than dipping my myself in cold water every day, like literally uh. just like trying to conserve water, but also having the coldest shower humanly humanly possible. It was um, yeah. it was hell. So um, we had the loft open, like just every trick in the book. I even tried to make 
home air conditioning. Yeah, ice like, and a bucket and a fan. Yeah, doesn't yeah. fucking work. Not um, much. No, I I tried that. I, I tried it. I splurged. I did, I was like, maybe if we raise the ice up close to the fan so that when the air passes through it, it is air conditioned. And then I was like, well, that's not working so well. Maybe a stronger fan. Maybe more ice at the bottom as well so that it cools it even more. But no. Even in my yeah. tiny third bedroom slash office, which is only 13 foot long, about 7 foot wide, it made no difference. I found one surefire way to get your homemade air conditioner to work. And that, that is to you get all of the ice and you pack it in there real good. And then you climb your ass into the ice because <laughs> it's the only way it's going to work. Yeah. Ice bath <laughs> is yep. the solution. Uh, I yep. love it. You can turn your oven to cold. Uh, sorry, that's a Simpsons joke. Uh, <laughs> but I was yeah, like, shit, um, they do that? <laughs> yeah. That, that's why they, they, Bart and Homer are camped out in front of the um, the fridge with the door open. Marge and Lisa climb in. They're like, you shouldn't be doing this, but it's really comfortable in here. And then the fridge <laughs> dies. And he just turns to Marge and says, Marge, can you turn the oven to cold? Um, <laughs> like, That's fucking brilliant. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we didn't want to record then, so we're recording now. And we have, I have a really interesting, it's going to be the first ever team on History's Greatest Idiots, the first ever conglomeration of idiots. Um, okay, okay. And you will see why. There are... 13 at least 13 people involved in this team um and 11 of them are complicit in the stupidity oh. so we will get to that in a bit and i promise it's it's sad hilarious annoying frustrating all in one go so yeah. before we do Derek, can you tell us who your idiot is or about your idiot this week please well um i don't have a team great i mean i guess it was a team effort this sure. guy is the leader of a team, uh, a super powerful team, and he did just a shitty job at being a leader, in my okay. opinion. That's that's just my opinion, though. So, <laughs> um, you know, when you take like a leadership role, it has a ton of responsibility, and ultimately, everything that everybody does underneath you is your fault. Mm. So. As the leader of a high-level organization, uh, you need to be able to quickly and effectively figure out what is vital and important right now mm. to to go forward and do a good job for sure and this guy did not do that he falls into a category of not good at that job and when it comes right down to it he was either ignorant arrogant or um what's what's the other one there's another int that he was ignorant, arrogant uh, incompetent pestilent no <laughs> incompetent perfect uh, i was going through horseman of the apocalypse but yeah you were you were right don't do that that's scary these days yeah exactly <laughs> anyway the guy i have is uh his name is george Tennant. if that name sounds oh. familiar to you it's because he was a pretty big name in american intelligence back in the uh 2000s ish yeah i, I vaguely remember that name you got well, to fill me in. We'll get into it. His name's George Tennant. He's born January 5th, 1953 in okay. Flushing, New York. And he's a twin. Ooh. His fraternal twin, Bill, um, was also Bill born Tennant. on that day. But he was he was second, so he's the older brother. Right. Okay. Both of George's parents were Greek immigrants, and his father was a coal miner in France before he came to the U.S. just before the Great Depression. 
Oh, His wow. mother has a cool ass story about how she got here. She stowed away on a British submarine. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Uh, we, we didn't have many of those. So good for her for finding some space She's, in there yeah. that wasn't taken up with weapons or, or Nazi code that they were trying to get back. So I didn't know that there was space or a whole lot of British uh, submarines, honestly. And I didn't know they were in, in Greece, but she took off from Ipirus, Greece, and they ended up in where everybody ends up, New York. Of course. So he's raised in Little Neck, Queens, New York, and he led a pretty standard American life. Him and his brother as a teenager worked as busboys at the family diner. And um, maybe it would have been better if his brother had been the one that followed his path. But he he didn't because Bill was the more reserved, precise and studious of the twins. Okay. And George was awesome. loud, sloppy, boisterous. Right. Talked constantly. Sure. A mouthpiece is what he was described as. Isn't that interesting? You've got that kind of uh, variation between twins who are basically identical. And well, I mean, fraternal is mm. they're not identical. But oh, does sorry, that yeah. does that mean that you get to split uh, personality traits? I don't I know how twinning so. works. I don't. I don't either. <laughs> All I know is they're terrifying sometimes. So and they sell yeah. gum. They do. They do. And That's... ride similarly sized tiny bikes. That's a Shriners joke. <laughs> I, know, I, I told a Simpsons joke. I'm telling a Shriners joke. This is sorry. I'm going back in time now. You're on Excuse one me. today, and at least your references make sense because mine are like just obscure and nonsense. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so a friend of George's family would describe him as the type of guy who couldn't keep a secret. Like oh, I said, he what? was the mouthpiece. And that's it's kind of strange for somebody who would later go on to become the director of the CIA. Yeah, probably not a great job for someone who couldn't keep their fucking mouth shut. Yeah, I, you know, maybe that's just the way he was as a teenager and he got better. Maybe. Yeah, maybe Quantico flogged that out of him. Let's see. No. George attended public school and he had a keen interest in local and current affairs and he served as the editor for his school newspaper. Mm -hmm. And... One of the local journalists in his area and the host of a local current affairs reporting responded back to uh, uh, what are those editorial opinion letters that George uh, had been sending in and said, George is the future editorial page editor of the New York Times. So he okay. had potential as a journalist. That's interesting. And actually but, probably a good personality for journalism because you do need a certain arrogance and sharing of yeah, yeah like you you need to be good at convincing people that's one of the tenants tenants of the job so he didn't go on to be a journalist though he went on right. to study at the university of new york Cortland, where he graduated hmm. um oh no he then transferred to georgetown university oh and went to the School of Foreign Service in 1976 and graduated with a Bachelor's of Science in Foreign Service. So That's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's... I think he made the shift right there. Yeah, I think maybe... Could he have been recruited? Maybe. Maybe. He yeah. did go on to receive a Master of International Affairs at Columbia just a couple... Mm. Excuse me, a couple of years later. And his first mm. gig after graduation was as the director of the... American Hellenic Institute. 
Goodness, oh, wow. I'm choking on my own saliva. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so, yeah, so so he's his first job out of university. I mean, obviously, yes, he has, you know, a master's degree and and all of that stuff. His first job is as a director, and also the Hellenic thing is interesting because you've obviously got the Greek connection there. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting. Straight out of college, and he's he's a director. I mean, most a, people a research go into director. retail or the service industry or something like that. But yeah, he's starting high. Yes, and then he moves on to solar energy industries, which would have been awesome if he would have just stuck with that and pushed it along yeah. further. But he served there as the director of international programs, and he continued that work all the way until 1982 when he started working as an assistant to the Senate. Uh, he was a legislative assistant to the Senate and a senator and later a legislative director, and he began his per political career right there um working as a aide to the senate select committee on intelligence Ooh, god that was a lot okay. of words <laughs> that, that was a lot yeah well done so from there his career kind of took off and in 1995 he was appointed the deputy director of the central intelligence agency after john deutsch uh had a hasty and abrupt exit and now i gotta say my last name is deutsch and he spells his last name wrong so ah, there you go. You see from the <laughs> horse's mouth, ladies and gentlemen, um, as the acting director. Oops. Um, we missed a bit. It, no, I, it's, I'm using word again and I scroll My too word fast. Word is so fucked. I suck at this game. I should Get know on better. It, <laughs> anyway, so George is the director of the CIA and it becomes official in 1997. Um, after a unanimous confirmation vote by the Senate, probably because he worked for them on the Senate Selected Committee for Intelligence. It seems like yeah. the next logical step. Absolutely, he serves. Yeah. Um, he, he normally would be replaced when the administration changed, but he continued on to serve as the director of the CIA through the end of the Clinton administration and into the George W. Bush presidency. Oh, Wow. Not a great time to be in the intelligence game when George W. Bush is coming in. That's, that's how he got here. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's so in, a fucking conversation right there. In 1999, George decided to depart from the norms and decline to publish the overall budget for intelligence operations, which included the CIA. And that, that got him some of his first criticism for lacking government transparency and oversight mm. and information sharing. But he had this plan and desire to reinvigorate the CIA as like, you know, despise this, the James Bond type stuff. I know that's right. British. OK, make it more glamorous. That, yeah, that's actually that's a very smart move. You want to re recruit people to a clandestine agency like that? Make it sexy. It's it's it speaks to the people that you want to be spies. And it's, it's what they needed to do because recruitment and the budget was down because the Cold War had ended just what 10 years earlier here mm, yeah. um so the recruiting had declined and he just he stated his mission was to return to the original mission of the agency which is to prevent another pearl harbor oh that Oops. didn't happen <laughs> he almost had it um <laughs> just a few short years later this thing happened uh, yeah that was probably worse than pearl harbor because it was mainland united states right and not using any armed forces just yeah fuck 
You failed, my dude. It's pretty much his fault. So anyway, George believes that the greatest danger is from the transformation of Russia and China and mm. from rogue states like North Korea and Iraq and Iran. And I you mean, know, to a certain extent, he's right, but he's probably 20 years too early for that. Uh, he's there, there, there's been a pattern in that area for a lot longer than I ever mm. realized. Oh, yeah. But his big one he wanted to focus on was the enemy state and um, them of terrorism. Because, of course, why not? That, that'll get yeah. you your budget, budget going. You got a big, scary, ambiguous yeah. enemy that looks like us, yeah. and you can't see who's where. Yeah. So, you you want to you wanna make money? You want to get some of that government grant money? Go to war with a vow. Nothing, fa- nothing ever works better than fighting poverty drugs uh let's see what else terrorism just pretty much any vowel you can think of um has or um sorry vowel verb i i may have been confused verb i think verb. It, no i don't know I, I don't know anyway yeah i shit I've, I've completely screwed that up anyway go to war with something you can't defeat i.e drugs or terrorism or poverty and you'll get so much money. Oh, yeah. That's so where the money's at, man. Yeah. Fight a war against something that you can't win and can't see. Something that is truly undefinable. Um, and, yeah, you'll you'll get all of the monies. I swear to God. Yep. So, okay, George takes over. He's the director. He's hiding the budget. He's got the recruiting going good. He's got the new mission of preventing a new Pearl Harbor. And on May 7th, 1999... U.S. bombers struck the Chinese embassy in Serbia during the Kosovo War. Oh, yeah. Now, the attack was deemed accidental, Hmm. uh, but this is George's first screw-up because it was a result of a CIA-led attack campaign. That's right. And it it was determined that it was an error Hmm. due to military targeting and database management by the Pentagon. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't his screw-up, but it was kind of his screw-up. Yeah, but uh, yeah. So the weapons didn't perform as they were supposed to. The database wasn't correct from the Pentagon, and they missed yeah. and blew up the Chinese embassy, which in Serbia. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, was was not. I mean, unfortunately, because friendly fire incidents have been so high profile over the last. I mean, really, fifty, sixty, seventy years, <clears throat> ever since the Second World War, when friendly fire was quite a serious issue at times. Um, I think that, um, you know, there is a level of acceptance of, yeah, there, there is going to be incompetence in, in this situation. But, um, yeah, th- there's no doubt that that was soured relations a little bit when you attack an embassy. That's well, bad. When you make mistakes, rules get made. And as a result of that and a couple of other incidents that happened in there, there were some systematic changes made to the pre-strike rules of engagement for U.S. pilots including checklist verifying target information and coordinates right small why the why was that not part of the make sure you're hitting the (laughs) shit you're supposed to hit why was that not in the rules beforehand but anyway Uh, uh, yeah no no sorry i just want this moment you say why wasn't that a rule before that's common sense right Ah. i want you to remember this for my thing later on i want you to remember this exact moment where you're like this should be the basic go-to system (laughs) for for checking that but we'll talk more about that later but yeah you would think that you would check your coordinates before you throw a fucking giant bomb at something right yeah 
You would think. Yeah. But anyway, China never accepted the, the United States uh, or their version of events. Mm. And Tennant, in a published work that would be a, 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 in his memoirs, was a prelude to the, the bombing in Iraq. China had officials contact his agency directly with the exact GPS coordinates of their embassy in Baghdad, just in case. That's serious. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty bad. That's we don't shit. trust you. You're going to do it again. Here's where we really are. Anyway, <laughs> about the same time, Al-Qaeda started showing up as a significant mm. terrorist threat, and they claimed responsibility for the 1998 bombings of two U.S. embassies in Africa. And that led George to put forward his plan for dealing with Al-Qaeda, uh, Al-Qaeda mm-hmm. in 1999. And he selected a new leadership for the CIA's counterterrorism center, uh, the Bin Laden unit. Ah, there we go. Uh, George Not Bin Ladens. He did. He did uh, work for not those Bin Ladens. The other Bin Ladens. The ones that he didn't like. Yeah, not the the ones the that they were friends with and didn't want to disrupt the friendship. Yeah, aren't the not... same Bin Ladens. Well, they're the same Bin Laden. Never they're mind. the same Bin Ladens, but they're not <laughs> the same Bin. Laden. They're the bin la- the, the bin the bin Ladens he likes are the ones that pay him to drill holes in the middle of the desert and find nothing. That's the bin Ladens that George Bush likes. The ones he doesn't like are the ones that show up that he actually has very close ties to those bin Ladens, and that's not good. Well, and that was actually one of the things here with George Tenet and George Bush. Uh, they were super freaked out about. The Saudi connections being uh, brought out after the 9-11 thing, but I'll get into that. So Tenet decides him and the CIA are going to take all of their financial resources and focus on this bin Laden plan. And they had some modest aspirations that were actually realized. They started to collect really good information and intel on bin Laden and some of his movements and plans. But when his activity increased real significantly after 99, they, they really failed to get into his inner circle mm. and yeah. they failed to share the, share the intelligence that they had with yes. people that were really wanting to do something about it. Yeah. The cross agency thing was a big problem before, you know, changes were made. They were on to him and it, and it was kind of more of uh, this is where I say arrogance comes into it. His, him and his people wanted to handle things a certain way and the FBI and their people wanted to handle things a certain way. And so they were like, well, then I'm not telling you. (laughs) (laughs) And stupid. Then after the September 11th attacks, Mm. um, they really started criticizing George Tenet and his intelligence community for the intelligence failures, um, preventing the attacks, which they, they really should have. And, I'll be honest with you. I got a lot of this information about those failures from this uh, great drama series that was on the Hulu, I think the looming tower. Yeah. I've heard of that. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. Is it good? It's a great limited series and it really makes you go, damn. Yeah, they had it. They knew. (laughs) Why do old white men suck so bad? (laughs) Yes. Why are we so bad at everything? Uh, What is wrong with us? Uh, yeah, it's a great, great show. Um, mm. I also, obviously, um, I, I remember Michael Moore's Fahrenheit 9 11. 
when it came oh, out, yeah. Um, yeah. which was huge and very controversial because he got booed at the Oscars for turning it political. It's like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding? Um, but yeah, he he produced a fantastic documentary called Fahrenheit 9-11, which I would recommend you watch. It makes some really interesting points about how Bush was elected um, and then how he kind of didn't really care or was really uninterested in the intelligence that people were planning an attack on American soil. Yeah. So. Well, him and his Secretary of Defense. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fine. Care. Go golf. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, after the September 11th attacks and all of that intelligence sharing failures came out, George was called before the 9-11 Commission to provide testimony which he did so in what most people would say an inaccurate, misleading, or incorrect way in all all kinds of aspects. Um, he just basically was like, "Well, we didn't do it. I didn't know. We we got the cable, but you know, it was information only. So no, obviously, we didn't need the information. Nobody read it. Mm. Yep, that's and that's how they missed it. Shocking." His decision right after that was to immediately increase the size and capability of the CIA's special operations component and started working with the special operations group and special activities division. Um, that actually had scaled back during the Clinton administration. Yeah. yeah. But following the attack, there's this new push for paramilitary officers and war on terrorism. Keep us safe. We got a war that kicks off immediately afterwards in Afghanistan yeah. And one for some fucking reason in Iraq three or four years later. Yeah. Um, and we were right behind you. Like, oh, really? Ooh, increasing military budgets? Fuck yes. We'll have some of that, please. Exactly. And it was this dude's intelligence that led us into Iraq, uh, chasing oh, weapons of mass destruction. That didn't um, exist. Allegedly don't exist. Uh, Wait, yeah. no, they proved it. That's right. So, so there's um, an interesting sideline. I've got a couple of interesting sidelines here, actually, but I'll go, okay. I'll go for the obvious one. Uh, my best friend, his friend, his childhood friend um, was in the military. He kind of ended his career guarding uh, nuclear sites. They have to okay. have like army people on board in case someone tries to blow them up and shit like that. Or if protesters show up, they're like, hey, we've got guns! Oh my god. Um, so <laughs> Um, his first task was on uh, a ship uh, set outside, um, you know, whatever part of whatever coastline or sea Iraq occupies. I can't remember the name of it. It's got a specific name. Anyway, sat on a ship, um, <coughs> kind of uh, running uh, into Iraqi ships that were fleeing because they were they were getting annihilated. And um, basically, he was there to pull them over and search for weapons of mass destruction. And um, they always did the, they did the, the the Abu Ghraib shit where they take prisoners with pe pictures with people while they were handcuffed and sat on the deck and what have you. And it was like we pulled over hundreds of these vessels, and they all had AKs and rocket launchers and shit like that. But I was like, that's not really a weapon of mass destruction. He was like, no, we kind of we we usually got those anyway. Uh, that's just smugglers, more or right. less. Um, whereas this time it's just smugglers who are working for the 
failing Iraqi government. But he was like, not once did we find anything more, you know, intense than a rocket launcher. Really? Uh, and, yeah. And this is someone who was there for months. So, I, as far as I know, they didn't find hardly anything no. for anything. Actually. I mean, they found chemical but, weapons, but they knew he had chemical weapons because he well, used yeah. them on his own people. Well, so. and he wasn't hiding those. He said they're no. here. They knew where those were. Those were yeah. accounted for. And like, exactly. Anyway, no shock. Yeah. So under George's directorship, the global war on terror um, comes to it comes to light that the CIA is authorizing enhanced interrogation. Yeah. Um, they go. started using waterboarding and other forms of torture uh, during the negotiation of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and uh, a number of other suspected Al Qaeda members. And in addition to George Tenet's authorization of the enhanced techniques, um, which came out in a, a report from investigative journalist Bob Woodward, in case oh, wow. anybody still doesn't believe that they were torturing people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he said that the enhanced interrogation led to the information that got him the location and surefire evidence that weapons of mass destruction existed in Iraq. Um, and then he used that information in a meeting in December 12th with Bush that there was indeed evidence of weapons of mass de destruction that amounted to a slam dunk case. God. And after several months of refusing to confirm his statement on uh, under oath, he stated that it was taken out of context and indicated that he made it in pursuant to a discussion about uh, how to convince the American people to support invading Iraq, which oh. is still not any fucking better. No, it's actually worse. And yeah, the search following the 2003 invasion by uh, U.S. and British forces yielded no significant weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. And September 2002, the Senate Intelligence Committee met with Tenet in a closed door session where he regret where Senator Bob Graham requested national intelligence estimate on Iraq. And Tenet responded by saying, we're never we've never done a national intelligence estimate on Iraq, which is something that you should do before you yeah it's kind of your fucking job yeah um <laughs> graham insisted that it was one of the most important decisions that they could make as members of congress and that the american people are likely to make in the foreseeable future that's the decision to go in and we did so with false evidence wow so yeah that's george Tenet, enhanced interrogations um false evidence for weapons of mass destruction and I lost my place. <laughs> oh, he submitted his resignation to President Bush on June 3rd, 2004, citing personal reasons. Mm, big uh, shit. His job is pretty personal. On December 14th, 2004, President George W. Bush awarded George Tenet the Presidential Medal of Freedom, stating that Tenet was one of the first to recognize and address the growing threat to America from radical terrorist networks. Except right. for missing that big attack. <laughs> yeah, except for that part, you know, his fucking job. So it says that Bush's decision was met with some criticism, but I can yeah. confirm that they were like, okay. Yeah, Medal of Freedom for, yep. Yeah. Anyway, no, I'm not over so, here. 
So George spent three years as a distinguished professor following his career as the director of the CIA. Um, he was a professor in the practice of diplomacy and oh, also, <laughs> also a Worst senior research associate. <laughs> Um, in, let's see, 2005, he, 2000, excuse me. Yeah. He left teaching in 2005 and by October of 2006, he's back in the defense business working in private for a British defense contractor. Um, I think it's Kintik, Kintek, Q-I-N-E-T-I-Q. Yeah, that's that's I'm not familiar with them. Let's go with Quintech. I, I guess it <clears throat> sorry, did you say QI? Yes. Quintech. Okay. Yeah. I thought it might have been like some sort of play on Quixotic, but it's not. It's just a stupid fucking name. Sorry, please carry on. So he's working for the private private defense contractor. He steps down from the board of them in two thousand seven. And long. in August two thousand seven. Uh, a report's written by a CIA inspector general. It, it's made public. Uh, it was actually written in 2005, but kept ca- classified until August 2007. And in the 19-page summary, it states that Tenet knew of the dangers of Al Qaeda well before the 2011, or excuse me, the 2001 attack. And it was his leadership of the CIA that did not do enough to prevent the attacks, mm-hmm. and that Tenet personally bears ultimate responsibility for the intelligence community's failure to develop a plan to counter the Al-Qaeda and their leadership. God damn. And then following that, in a strange turn of events, George becomes the managing director at an investment bank, Allen and Company, (laughs) in February of 2008. That's a shift. Fuck if I know why. He's intelligence, intelligence, intelligence. You know what? You want to be a managing director of a bank? Yeah. Sure, whatever. Seems legit. That doesn't seem like a a front at all. Um, (laughs) The secretive bank did not even announce that he was appointed to that position until February of the following year. What? So they clearly don't have shareholders because there'd be uproar if they did. Jesus. Yeah. Well, he also serves on the board uh, for L1 Identity Solutions, which is a biometric identification software manufacturer. Kind of scary. Yep. Uh, and that's that's where he's at so far. He's still just uh, making money and doing things. Wow. Apparently banking now. It's, but... it's kind of crazy how people can just fail at a high level and continue to get very good paying gigs thereafter. Well, and, and not even that. I feel like he could be described as, a, as an unprosecuted war criminal. But I mean, yeah. Maybe. basically and also like i hate we always go back to this this fucker does not learn from history you cannot torture people to get information out of them it doesn't work they lie and say whatever the hell they can to get you to stop strapping things to them and pulling things off them and dropping water over them which is when you said waterboarding my, my first thought because will ferrell used to do george bush all the time on snl yeah. And various other stuff. Uh, he did a, a Broadway show uh, called You're Welcome, America. Um, uh, kind of a fond farewell to George W. Bush's presidency. Yeah. And it's a one-man show. I mean, there's a couple of moments where 
like someone playing Condoleezza Rice comes on stage and does a seductive dance for him. <laughs> uh, and um, Will Ferrell's actual real life brother kind of um, in between. So they obviously need to get him off so they can change the sets and change costumes and stuff like that. So like Will Ferrell's brother is playing like a, a secret service agent who just comes on and randomly starts dancing to techno music. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's the weirdest thing. Um, and there's a part where there's a plant in the audience um, who starts throwing his shoe at Will Ferrell as George Bush, because that's what happened to <laughs> Oh, George yeah, Bush that's right. In real life. And uh, uh, the, the brother who's playing the Secret Service agent drags this guy out of the crowd, and he goes, get him out back and waterboard him. And the whole crowd goes, oh. And he goes, don't give me that. I've seen it. I've tried it. It's like a spa treatment. And uh, I heard that, and I was like, holy shit that's really dark um you can get a there's footage of it i was gonna say you can get a dvd of it who watches dvds anymore dude i can't um, even find my dvd player i know i, I have I one somewhere still got one. yeah um but it's it's really funny um it's just an aside uh george Tennant, i swear he made a withering apology speech or maybe i'm thinking of someone else from the intelligence community in front of like a committee of people oh yeah yeah the, the, the 9-11 commu- committee and it was weak yeah. it was weak sauce yeah it was like uh, i wanted to apologize to the american people blah 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 and it's like it's, you're still making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year why haven't you retired from public life you yeah. are clearly no good at things i mean um, he's good at kicking it in his office and not listening to people i have no idea how that man it's it's the piers morgan syndrome where you fail upwards no matter how bad you do people keep giving you work um and yeah i just you don't understand it and this man was a known failure he must have been incredibly good at brown nosing or he must have been very good in interviews because how did he get to that position and maintain it after all those failures Maybe he was really good at intelligence. You get a good dossier on somebody, you can get a long way. I would say, yeah, maybe it was a Hoover technique, you know, just Goodness. Like get as much dirt on everyone. It looked um, like an Al-Qaeda leader over here. This is a lot of facial hair going on. It's <laughs> fine, it's nicely shaped. Um, but yeah, just scoring this guy is going to be really interesting because we always, uh, one of the weight, waiting elements we put into our scoring is like, well, they, they didn't kill anyone, but this guy kind of <laughs> indirectly is responsible for so 9-11 so that's like it's like 3,500 people something like that mm-hmm. yep. uh, and then you got the war in Iraq which is like 250,000 300,000 people yep. Iraqi yep. civilians and servicemen and, and combatants and vigilantes and whatever else you've got going on in there um, and then you got Afghanistan which I mean it was a shit show know, yeah and has now proven to be a complete failure what was it? Yeah. There's a meme going around that says, "Was it you who posted the meme that said, you know, the America America has spent trillions of dollars to replace the Taliban with the Taliban?" Ah, um, maybe that sounds like something you know, that <laughs> that might be. I know I shared it. I don't know if I got it from you or someone else, but um, yeah, I um, it's it's so hard to not score this guy high because a for the basic idiot stuff, he's crap at his job. And yeah. somehow hangs on to it. We don't know how he's hanging on to it. Maybe it's dirt, like you said. Maybe he's just in with the right people, which nepotism and the body system, that's that's a big failing in, in pretty much yeah. any governmental structure. Um, but also, he is 
indirectly responsible. I wouldn't say he was directly responsible, maybe indirectly through incompetence and an inability to understand the fundamentals of his own job for the deaths of near exactly. enough half a million people. Yeah. Take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I think 93 for George Tennant. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's such a staggering failure from a historic point of view. And also we, we, we've talked about this before. A lot of the stuff that is going on in this world in terms of people's behaviors, people's frame of mind, people's baseline stress levels, their anger, their all this. A lot of this is because we are still living in a post 9-11 world and the consequences of that moment in time have reverberated throughout popular culture and um, the kind of the governmental forces that have gone on in the Western world ever since. Yeah. And I think that's enough. You can attribute enough of that to this guy to say that he is one of the modern architects of our misery. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude. So if, he, if this guy had been doing his job, 9-11 wouldn't have happened. And I it's feel like a lot of it was 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 just arrogance. He had people yeah. giving him the answers on a cheat sheet. Here's what here's what's up. We yeah. need to do this or this. And his inability to act on it. Yeah. And yeah. he's ah talk to me and talk to me next week. Jesus. I gotta go have bourbon with this guy here. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go <laughs> hang out with Bush. Yeah. No, no, the one down in Florida, not the idiot in the White House. Um <laughs> so yeah, I think ninety three is a fair one. Um, because of the disastrous consequences that puts him in a category up there with New Jack, uh, who is an actual psychopath, and uh, people like the Planet Killers, like uh, Thomas Midgley and yeah. um, E. Bruce Harrison. You know, these these are very serious people from history, and I think George Tennant is definitely up there because he has shaped the modern world through his own incompetence and caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people. No, yeah. no, no denying that. So, yep. Yeah. Um, well, I take that. I think that's a good score for him. And yeah, I, I, I feel fair. We, we may revisit scores from time to time, but I think ninety-three is fair, given his failings in in the position. So, moving on to a slightly lighter topic. Um, All right. <laughs> I would now like to tell you about my idiots, and it's going to be a relatively short one this week. We may have a, we may actually have an episode that's less than an hour and twenty minutes. Um, podcast listeners, I, I don't know whether you'll be overjoyed about that or, or upset that you don't get the thing that maybe helps you fall asleep at night. But um, seriously, just listen I, to it uh, twice. You'll be alright. Yeah, you'll be fine. Just put it on repeat. We haven't got any habits <laughs> at the moment. No one wants to give us any money. Um, so, uh, Patreon.com/slash History's Greatest Idiots. So my team of idiots this week and it, it is a shocking story that I, I have no idea what they were thinking but let me introduce you to the spanish men's paralympic basketball team from the 2000 sydney paralympic games okay yeah what a oh, i'm interested i gotta see yeah. that this is taken from a number of articles i can't credit anyone because it's taken from about five different articles like a paragraph here and there but um, it's very easily Googleable, if that's a word. Googleable. Um, I'd recommend you do it. There's there's a couple of videos about it as well. So okay. go and watch it. it is the, the, I'll tell you about it now. Okay. Carlos Ribagorda doesn't appear to be a man who suffers from learning difficulties. A journalist for a Spanish business magazine has just published a book on young right-wing politicians in the country. 
Four years earlier, however, he won a Paralympic gold medal in Sydney as a member of Spain's learning disabled basketball team. A few weeks okay. later, Ribagorda sent his medal back to the Paralympic headquarters in Bonn, Switzerland. He also returned his Spanish team kit and the £150 spending money he'd been given. <laughs> Fucking hell. When was this? This is 2000. That's still not 150 much. bucks. 150 bucks. Jeez. Yeah, fuck that. You're an elite <laughs> athlete. Here's $150. Go mad. <laughs> Get yourself all the candy bars in the world. Oh, holy shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> just don't get it. For four, he explained, he was just one of 10 members of the 12 man squad who had absolutely nothing wrong with them. Yes, that's right. Spain's Paralympic basketball team for the 2000 Sydney Olympics, of the 12 members of the team, 10 of them had absolutely no disability whatsoever and were actually really good basketball players. Yeah, their only fault was being Spanish. <laughs> which isn't really anything no that's not a that's not a disability <laughs> that it, uh, although apparently in, in this olympics it means that you're more likely to cheat because holy shit um he had simply been signed up to boost uh, his country's chances of winning a medal his revelations shocked the paralympics held every four years by the city that hosts the full olympics shredding its image as the benevolent moment of the international sporting calendar which it kind of is these days but man there's been a lot of doping scandals in the paralympics and the special olympics and all Has that. There been? oh shit yeah i'll tell you about them now uh, <laughs> the okay. shockwaves are still being felt uh, years afterwards, uh, because athletes with learning difficulties were banned from competing in the Athens Paralympics, the following Paralympic event, because they just couldn't trust anyone to bring on to do the testing properly. And we'll get to that now. In the Paralympics, just as in the Olympics, people cheat. It was not just the Spanish basketball team that was stuffed with frauds in Sydney, a quarter Ribagorda, two swimmers on the Spanish team, as well as a table tennis player and at least one track and field athlete were not, as they claimed, learning disabled. He says, the Spanish really want those fucking medals, man. What are they counting as learning disabled, though? Um, so I uh, uh, will get to this. There, okay. there are very strict criteria, and I, I will state. tell you about it. Yes. There's an ADHD uh, kid on Ritalin on a well, track team. I know, exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, there's very, there's very, very strict criteria. Okay. Um, complaints in, in, inevitably began to spread. Um, there were two or three players from both Spain and Russia, the Russians cheated in the Olympics, I'm shocked, um, who could have competed in our National Basketball League, complained one Australian coach. Uh, what they did uh, w uh, with and without the ball was way above what any of our athletes could have achieved. Ribagorda, who helped beat the Russians in the final, agreed. There were three players in that Russian team, especially one of them, who were just too good. It's Putin in a wig. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it is. Like, send some of the army guys in. Just, just cut the hair more. Uh, oh. Gorda says he uh, was invited to train in Madrid with the basketball team five months before the Sydney Games and saw an opportunity for a journalistic scoop. Smart man. This made his career. There were five months of training with not a single disabled person in sight. The two genuinely disabled players came from outside of Madrid and were told to train separate from the rest of the team because they couldn't afford to bust them in. 
Oh, that's messed bullshit. up. Yeah, that's like we can't. And it, and it, in many ways, I guess that that saved them because they were completely unaware. Yeah. Of what was going on because they weren't allowed anywhere near the, you know, clearly not disabled athletes. Um, some of his new teammates had already been uh, to a world championship in, in Brazil. Ribagorda himself went to Portugal with the team, uh, but the big prize was Sydney. I think people saw it as a free trip to Australia. Oh, and 150 bucks. <laughs> and 100 and they go make it get all the dingy, dingy, diggery, diggery doos, diggery doos that you want. There we go. Eat all the kangaroo meat you want. Um, yeah. There was even some pride in wearing the Spanish team strip. I mean, you know, it's just cloudy judgment enough by wearing the flag. Really? That's there's a lot of people who were just like, I just want to go to Australia. You know? Okay. Fuck they me. just okay. I mean, <laughs> in their first match, the team played too well and uh, were more than Dial thirty back, points guys. ahead at half time. Uh, <laughs> And they were ordered by their coach to slow down their scoring and let the other team shoot more. It didn't work. They they thrashed the position team. But their biggest mistake was... Yeah, it's so messed up, and we will get to that as well. Their biggest mistake was to win gold, part of a haul that put Spain third in the medal table behind the US and Britain, which is like, that's incredible, you know, for a country with, you know less funding for Olympic ath uh, athletes and sports in general as Spain is. Um, you know, you well, look at the bigger countries as well. well. It's a lower population too. So you have to look at yeah. ratio of available players. Exactly. Yep. And, uh, you know, in terms of certain, that, you, know, you can only really train for certain events unless you've got specialist equipment. Whereas like one of the reasons Britain does well is because we can train for pretty much any event in this country. You know, there, there is snow in parts of this country and there are a lot of lakes and and shit like that and it that's far harder to come by in in parts of spain and you know oh, yeah. it's such a spread out country as well you know you've got decentralized issues and training anyway it's a whole thing about the way athletes are funded but yeah basically spain overperformed in the paralympics um a photographer a, a photo appeared on the front page of the popular madrid sport uh, sports daily Marker, I think it's Marker or Marsa. I don't know. Rumors began to circulate almost immediately that sub players, including the coach of an amateur team, had been recognized as people without learning difficulties. Because when you win a gold medal, people like to take your picture. And when those pictures make their way home and they're splashed over every magazine, newspaper, and website in Spain, people tend to notice this shit. Apparently, yeah. one comment section of a very early message board in spain was like i know that guy he's not disabled and like just thousands of comments yeah. like that well i'm see i'm i'm looking forward to where we get to what oh, yeah. classifies the disabled thing uh, oh it's the testing is hilarious okay um, they were advised by <laughs> officials to, they were advised by spanish olympic officials to wear dark masks and hats and grow beards in order to pass a notice that the team's triumphal return... I mean, they're still getting off the fucking plane. Who's not going to spot them? Like, hang on, there's a group of 12 or 13 people over there that we should really be paying more attention to. They yeah. They're quite tall. Um, <laughs> and wearing dark masks. Yeah. And they don't appear to have any disabilities, but, you know, invisible disabilities <laughs> aside, that's, you know, the, the, the news was out at this point. Um, then Ribagorda blew the whistle. Like they thought they'd gotten away with it. They're like, "Look, just lie low. Nothing's gonna happen." 
but unfortunately one of their team was an undercover journalist. So you're fucked, basically. Uh, He blew the whistle. The halo of saintliness that accompanies the Paralympics, which started out at Stoke Mandeville Hospital as the International Wheelchair Games in 1948, lost its shine. Stoke Mandeville Hospital is uh, one of the foremost treatment centers for people with kind of various um, physical disabilities in in the UK and one of the best in Europe. It's also got specialist treatment centers um, where people get flown to, like if they've got bad burns or bad breaks and stuff like that. So it's a very important hospital. Unfortunately, it was recently, it's only been tied with Jimmy Savile and his antics there. I shouldn't say antics, that that diminishes that. But anyway, yeah, we won't talk about that. That's a story for another time. Okay. so it, it was startle. It was a startling reversal for a twenty-nine million pound event that Australians had supported with heartwarming enthusiasm by one point two million tickets. The Paralympics is big business, Damn. folks. Yeah, that yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's a yeah. lot of people. That's <laughs> a lot of people. That's like I mean, Australia is quite a populous country on the coast anyway, but to get to these parts of the country, you have to take long flights. So for 1.2 million people to be in in the vicinity of these games is really, really special. Um, Fingers soon began to point at one of the most powerful men worldwide in the field of disabled sport, Fernando Martín Vicente, Vicente, a former Madrid city councillor who was a member of the International Paralympic Committee's uh, ruling executive and vice president of Spain's Paralympic Committee. He was also head of one of the six international federations of disabled athletes that make up the Paralympic family INASFID. Uh, that's I-N-A-S-F-I-D. The International Sports Organization for Persons with Intellectual Disability. Goodness. Yeah, that's a lot of shit going on with this guy, but let's give you a little bit of background into Mr. Okay. Vicente. In 1975, Vicente, the father of a disabled child, founded the National Association of uh, Special Sports, A-N-D. I don't know how that acronym works, but it's Spanish. uh, Dedicated to disabled sports. Every year, it reportedly received huge sums of state cash. While A-N-D-E grew, Vincente's personal wealth also suspiciously increased. El Mundo newspaper tried but failed to prove that there was a connection, claiming his wealth had reached five million pounds. About, uh, I guess, back in two, when did it say it was? In two thousand, so that would have been about nine million dollars. Um, this is just a, a normal guy whose son happen, happened to be disabled. He starts a, a, a federation, and all of a sudden, he's a multimillionaire overnight. Hmm. Uh, Martin, it said, owned a yacht, eight cars, including a Porsche, five houses. And half a dozen large pieces of land. Maybe he's just really good with money. Maybe. This is there. Yeah. And what uh, does he do for a living? Oh, that's the thing. I couldn't find any information on that. Aha. Uh-huh. It's it's the it's yeah. It's like the whole. So it's just the foundation. Thing. Yeah, it's just a foundation. <laughs> Give us your money. I swear, all of it goes to charity. Only thirty percent of it goes to charity. Uh, Vicente <laughs> protested his in a in a. Oh wait, hold on. Sorry. Uh, yeah, Vincente protested his innocence and then immediately resigned. When contacted by the Guardian, he angrily denied making money from disabled sports. It is very sad. There's there was no bad intent. Um, there was no intent. Hmm? You recruited people who weren't disabled, so that's not an intent. I should point out that um, 
the reason people cheat in the Olympics, and you think, why the fuck are you doing this? You don't get money. You're an amateur athlete. Um, first of all, for the athletes, there's endorsement money. Almost okay. invariably in the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, you know, even Kurt Angle basically essentially retired from life after his 1996 gold medal in, in wrestling. And then only by 1999 was he like, oh shit, I might have run out of money. Maybe I should come back <laughs> and do this actual pro wrestling shit and became the greatest rookie of all time, learning the trade in about three months, which is amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, I know. He, he's, Kurt Angle is a once in a lifetime uh, in terms of learning, he is a genius. He picks things up like that. Which it's, I could do freakish. that. Yeah. Uh, physically, I, mean, I do. I just put him back down right away. Yeah, just give up. But no, he's <laughs> just not that guy. Uh, but yeah, so obviously to cheat, you know, you get endorsements, you get money for appearances, all of the, you can get paid to open a supermarket, all of that shit. But yeah. for the organizations behind the individual sports, so big one in the, the UK is rowing. Rowing for us netted dozens of gold medals over the years. Every gold medal is like an extra, I don't know, £250,000 from the UK government every year. Oh, wow. So you get, you get a gold medal, you get like another quarter of a million, another quarter of a million. Like, oh, you're doing well. We want this to continue. Here's wow. more money. So if you are head of a federation that produces a lot of winners, you get a lot of money. And that money can do things like buy you a yacht and five houses and eight cars and shitloads of land and stuff. Gotcha. So that's that's the uh, it, for the non-athletes. That's the incentive to cheat or to help cover up the cheating. Um, so he uh, insisted before adding that he, as head of Innis Fid, there had uh, been too important to get involved in checking the credentials of individual players washing his hands immediately <laughs> i think there that that proves intent right there if you can't yeah, be bothered exactly. to check and make sure yeah like we were talking about with your guy yeah uh, mr Tennant, like oh i just you know I, I didn't check it's like that should be the basic part of your job <laughs> the fuck um the ip one job <laughs> yeah, you literally have one fucking job. The IPC eventually set up um, its own investigation committee. It was on, it it was only just this sport, exclaims the IPC media director Miriam Wilkins. It was just the Spanish team. No, it wasn't. We've just proven the Russians were in on it as well. What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? What kind of investigation were you running? It definitely wasn't just that team. We know that there were swimmers and other people, attractive field athletes. They're just like, oh, no, no. Honestly, we're all clean. Oh, isn't it an amazing inspiration? Look, look how inspiring everyone is. Um, but all learning disabled athletes were banned um, until Inasfid could come up with a way of making sure that there was no further cheating. Its proposals have um, at the time had at the time so far fallen short of what the IPC wanted. They couldn't find a way. Um, they did eventually reinstate learning disabled athlete sports, but with far stringent, far more stringent testing. Athletes have to take tests designed to be impossible to cheat. Okay. If your IQ and they are like, I've tried a few of these IQ tests because you can do them online. You cannot game them. You cannot like, oh, I'll just get the wrong answer. You, 
it, it tells it can tell when you're deliberately fucking the the score up right right so the majority like intelligence is such a weird thing first of all iq let's talk about iq because that's how this is tested iq is completely fluid people will say oh i've got an oh i know this person who's got an iq of 130 they're a genius sure you know that's very only like two percent of people have an iq over 110 in the world and iq is fluid it changes with age so when you're a kid you have a low iq when you are a certain age you know you've learned stuff your iq is higher as you get older your iq drops because you know you, your brain is going a little bit yeah. dribbling out your ears it's just the way I'm, things work i'm essentially might... a 16 year old again yeah basically <laughs> um so yeah uh, the apparently the biggest it's interesting you say that the biggest jump is from the age of 16 to 21 like iq points can go up by as much as 10 to 15 points in that okay. window alone which is kind of amazing but that's because that's the formulative like higher learning levels that you go through um so the test uh these iq tests that you can take now if your iq is above 75 you can't compete in learning disabled um, athletic competitions. And it is very difficult to cheat. One guy tried it, tried to mm -hmm. cheat it multiple times. He ended up with a score of 25. And they were like, wow, it's not even close. Like, you can't game it. They're, they are almost... Uh, I see flawless. how that works then. Yes, exactly. Okay. So these have been designed by very high-level cognitive scientists and stuff to make sure that, you know, you, you can't just like... Oh, I'll just lie. But back to how this happened. Um, the athletes for Spain's basketball team's tests um, in 2000 gave conflicting reports on how they cheated their tests. Um, some said they were never tested. They were just like, oh, no, nothing ever happened. Okay. Some said that they had deliberately tested low on their tests, and others said that Spanish doctors forged their paperwork. I totally believe all of those, but it's amazing that there's like three different stories. But, as usual, Carlos Ribogorda, the man who blew the whistle, had the inside line. He said that in the five months of training he had before the in, uh, bef uh, with the entirely fake team, the only test he was subjected to, what do you think it was, this test, uh, to make sure he was uh, learning disabled? Um, gosh, I don't even know. Was it one of those, like... Uh... SATs test? I don't know. <laughs> you, you would think so. You would think it would be a straightforward learning cognition test, something like yeah. that. Um, the only test he had in five months of training with the entirely fake team was six push-ups and a blood pressure check. Oh, I was yeah. going to say blood pressure. I don't even know why. <laughs> okay. I should have said it. You would have been it, right. <laughs> See, I know and how to do it. this. <laughs> that's it. Six push-ups and a blood pressure check. Just two things. My 91-year-old grandmother could do both of those things. How does that prove a learning disability? I don't know. I have. Hmm. I, that's a complete joke. And when I heard that, I was like, that is incredible. How did the International Olympic Committee not know that something fishy was going on when you've got stuff like that happening? Yeah. In like Spain or like it's probably happening in multiple countries, but we know for certain because this journalist is now blowing the whistle. Shocking. Um, a lot of athletes around the world are devastated by that, says Nick Parr, chief executive of the English Sports Association for People with Learning Difficulties. This goes beyond disappointment. They have uh, trouble understanding. There are English athletes who think that as they are being punished, they must have done something wrong. How heartbreaking is that? Fuck. So, wait. So 
all learning disabled athletes were banned from competing because of the actions of these special people because they couldn't test for it properly. It took years to come up with this test. Assholes got to ruin everything for everybody. I hate that. I hate when that happens. Yeah, and (laughs) and some of these people, like, there are people out there, and I've never met anyone, but people who genuinely dream of going to the Olympics, that is the height of their life. And it's not like a dream that maybe evolves over time. Like, oh, you know, when you're younger, you're like, oh, I just want to be a stuntman. Or like right. I want to be a YouTuber or what or a, a, I want to be a famous TikToker. But then like <laughs> you hit your late teens, early twenties, and you're like, you know, I just want a good career in this field. And then you get to a certain age, you're like, oh, I'd really like to settle down now. You know, your dreams change, right? But if you're right. an Olympian, your dream is to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. And after that, life is somewhat meaningless. And and it's a short window too. Yeah. So you have when... ten years. Really? Yeah, when that when they shut it down to your entire group of people competing, yep. ew, that would suck. Exactly, and that's that's shocking because you know you can say, well, you know, it's it's not like the Olympic Games. You know, people compete in different categories for different ages, and that, that to a certain extent is true. I know some events like equestrian, like I think it was a six-year-old won a gold medal. Um, it, it's just oh. it's not the same, you know. You, there's less funding available if these people aren't competing, so they're just not going to have the opportunity to go. It's shocking. Um, so the Paralympics, however, is the is not the only international sports organization for learning disabled people. The International Olympic Committee has also given its backing to a separate games, the Special Olympics. So this this article was written before that became a thing. Uh, the Special Olympics is not an elitist sports organization. People of all levels and abilities can compete says okay. Kirsten Suto, its spokeswoman in Washington. The philosophy is all about doing, one, doing one's own personal best. Um, in practical terms, that means uh, dividing athletes into divisions so they compete against those of similar ability. If they improve, they can move up a division to compete against more capable athletes. Uh, okay. We like the spirit of competition, but we don't focus on medal counts our countries uh, our country's doing best we focus on individuals and their accomplishments which i like that should really be the heart of most competition i think just yeah. personal best really um otherwise you know it can be quite ruinous when you come up against someone who is a once in a generation athlete you're like i'm never going to beat this person right no matter how hard yeah. i try that can be soul yeah. crushing just so. the dude that is running against the one setting the world record. Yeah. It's like, just, shit. Well, what, I'm just going to be in the background gold? while this guy's hands are raised. You know, yeah. best I can ever hope for is silver. That must be soul crushing. Anyway, the Sydney scandal provokes sadness, says Suto. We um, are always sad when people aren't true sportsmen and don't take sports seriously by faking and ridiculing it. And that's an interesting point. There is an element of ridicule here. You know, um, they thought it was easy. So just get just to get an all just get a bunch of people who who normally compete in basketball games on the street and just get into compete in these games and we'll fake everything. It's fine. It's like th- right. that's that's really horrible. Um, the Sydney Games also turned up eleven doping cases. That's really weird. Medals were taken away from among others the American runner Brian Frazier and the Azerbaijani powerlifter. Oh, I'm going to struggle here. Gundas Ismailov. Oh, that's not too bad. Uh, Ismailov. Yeah had been taking both nandrolone and anabolic steroids and nandrolone i know um (laughs) and methandinone that's one just steroids let's go with steroids that's the bad okay um (laughs) frazier billed as the fastest 
the world's fastest amputee. It's kind of that doesn't mm, that doesn't hit the ear quite right. That one um, had been had also been taking Nandrolone. Jesus. Um, at the Winter Olympics two years later in Salt Lake City, German skier Thomas Oilsner had to return two gold medals after a doping scandal. After the game, back to the Spanish team now, the team were disqualified and ordered to return the medals. In 2013, after over a decade of investigation and court battles, Fernando Martin Vincente was found guilty of fraud and forgery. He was fined 5,400 euros, and that's it. Well... It's more than 150. That's true. So he had to give that back. Got to give that money back. No, no didgeridoo money for you. (laughs) And uh, and also he was ordered to return the 150,000 euros he'd received from sports uh, sponsorships due to the team's victory. Uh, That's the money. 150,000 euros. And this is the, the scandal unfolded really quickly. They already got that money like within a few days of winning their gold medals. Can you imagine what a following year of fame oh. and fortune could have led to? You're talking big money for these people. Yeah. Shit. Well, more yachts and yeah, no sixth house for this arsehole. <laughs> um, as for the 10 fake athletes, nothing, no charges or fines. They were just ordered to return their medals during the medal ceremony. The athletes looked dour and muted. None of them wanted to take, uh, wanted to talk about it with each other afterwards. They finally realized that they robbed real Paralympians of their chance to achieve their dreams. So Yikes. after they won their medal, they were like, oh, oh, God, what have we done? How did they not think of that beforehand? I know. I know. The, the, <laughs> the, the lack of insight here is staggering. These people didn't seem to care they were like oh we're going to australia no you are robbing people of rightly earned gold medals and actually it doesn't sound like the russians deserved it either the people they competed against in the finals because they had three non-disabled athletes as well but at least they had like seven others who did have learning disabilities there were only two people yeah the spanish team that had learning disabilities and they weren't allowed no idea what was going on because they weren't allowed to train with their teammates right yeah it's it's messed up yeah, and that's that's all I got for you this week. I mean, it, it's a short one, but the thing that hit me about this was, I mean, it, the year 2000 is an interesting one because we're still at the kind of the boundary between analog and digital to a certain extent. You know, the internet is not widely available. It's certainly not widely used. Nobody's got it on their phone. You know, right. if you want to use the internet, you have to sit down on a big-ass computer. If you're lucky, you're you're laptop might have some sort of thing that you can hook up to because wireless sure as shit isn't a thing Um, you essentially have to sit down at a big um, computer and read up about this Um, newspapers you know celebration of a a medal thing that's going to be a day maybe and no one's going to really check up on that after that you might get news headlines for the day and that's it so really they were hoping that they could fly under the radar with this shit because they knew that once they won the gold medal and all those pictures were out, it just takes one person to be like, mm, I know that guy, that's my mechanic, he is not disabled. Right. Um, well, see, know. and that's that's where I guess I was I'm still kind of left wondering. It's not necessarily learning disabled as in yeah. neurodivergent, like yeah. you can't have dyslexia or ADHD and go qualify right yeah i sorry i just also wanted to point out um 
This article's from 2004. I do apologize if some of the language in this is outdated. I couldn't find anything more current. Um, the words like neuro, neurodi, I can't even say it. Neuro, neuro, <laughs> oh my God, neurodivergent um, weren't used at this yeah. point in time. And I just want to apologize if anyone was offended by the language I used in this because it was taken from an article written in 2004. Um, so yeah, it, it, there are now very stringent qualifications to get into the the, the various Olympic bodies. But right. man, how did they think they could get away with this? Even yeah. In who who is none of them got busted for doping too right it no, wasn't like they, they were didn't need to and they doped because that's just yeah. mean that would have been overkill you know yeah. you, you suddenly got like these huge guys ripped to shreds showing up to apparently i think that would have set off a few alarm bells but like i guess it's a part of me so and a lot of this is because and there is an, a, an epidemic of this in society it's something that isn't talked about too much there's a, a term called inspiration porn um i don't know if you've ever heard of this i have not so, okay Insp <laughs> they don't like if it turns up actual porn don't look at that but the phrase <laughs> inspiration porn is essentially where people celebrate the most minor achievements of people who are otherwise abled or disabled or neurodivergent or have disabilities whatever it might be in such a way that it's like it's kind of patronizing and they're only doing that to make themselves feel better okay you know like like and, and you can you can argue over what classifies as um inspirational port like oh wow i you know this person put a thing up of them going to the park today and they're it was not that amazing it's like no it's them going to the park and like <laughs> i've had this before like with the whole Crohn's things like oh my god like oh that must be so terrible you, you do occasionally get that and I just have to say like you adapt humans adapt right that's what we do that's how we've evolved to become the dominant right. species on the planet we adapt it's it's our thing so some um, of us yeah some <laughs> uh, but I think a lot of this will have been like people will have been unwilling to question it at the time because they're like they're worried about maybe getting fingers pointed like how dare you question Right, the, I can the, see this that. athlete, you know. Right, um, but yeah, <laughs> well, because they if, when they questioned it back then, they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have said it nice. No, it wouldn't have been well worded. Let's yeah. just put it that way. You know, the, the respect and um, standing of Paralympic athletes at the time, it was it was just it wasn't really a thing. It didn't really get a huge amount of coverage, and certainly like. Um, there was a lot of really quite crass humor still existing yeah. around 2000s around people with disabilities. I mean, I still make crass jokes about my own disability, but I'm fucking allowed to. So, yeah. Um, what's your score for the 2000 Sydney uh, Spanish Paralympic basketball team? How long did they get uh, learning disabled people banned from competing? Uh, it was two Olympics after that. So eight years. Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. Well, that raises it up a little bit. I think. Does, it? I hate when people get shit taken away from everybody else by being assholes. So that raises that up too. And I think that it was it was a collective idea to. Uh, well, it was it was the brainchild of Vincente. Okay. But they recruited people who knew full well what was going on and did nothing except they were for just this cool one with journalist. It. Yeah, they were they were complicit. 
Okay. But they weren't masterminds, as it were. But any one of them could have just gone up to someone in the Olympics, gone, "Hey, look, they pulled me off the street in Madrid. There is nothing wrong with me." Right. You know, and nobody did that. They didn't want. They were complicit, and they were probably terrified of upsetting this quite powerful person. So yeah, Vicente is the main architect of all this, and he did that because his son was disabled. Well, that's okay. where it started, all but right. also it sounds like he's got quite the estate to keep up now. So, so he got an idea from a bad situation and then yeah. ran with it and was an asshole and ruined Basically, a bunch yeah. of people's lives. So I'm, yeah, nobody really died, and no. uh, I got it. Sucks though when you have it something does. that you want really, really bad, and then yeah. you lose opportunities to get it when there's already limited opportunities to get it. Exactly. That's um, that's the big thing. This is one of the key pillars in like kind of um, the world of competition for any athlete. So and like um, disability, disability athletics as it is, I, I, it doesn't get anywhere near the recognition and coverage that like what is considered mainstream athletic right. competitions do. So like you say, this is kind of the opportunity and it was taken away from thousands of people for eight years, and also the people at the games at the time who should right. have won and didn't because of these arseholes. So, yeah, I think for all of that, I think an 88 is fair. Thank you. Team. I think that's, yeah. I, I completely agree. Again, like you said, nobody died. Um, but I think there is something about, <laughs> we talk about the Olympic spirit. Um, because I've I, I got to tell you, there is evidence that ancient Greeks were doping. They were eating goat testicles to give themselves a performance boost. Yeah, I know. It's a shit. Hey. It's a thing. Hey, whatever floats <laughs> your boat, man. But, you know, uh, it's it was... Um, I heard about it at the time, I think, and then it kind of left my consciousness and came up again recently. But two... I just don't understand what the end... Uh, we, we talk about the end game. The end game was funding. I don't understand how you thought you could get away with this. The arrogance to think that you could just fake this shit. Right, and nobody would notice. I mean, if it was one athlete, right? But um, well, ten yeah. out of twelve, no way, you know. No. And also, then, like, even actually, you know what? Even one athlete, then people would have been like, "Hold on, that's a ringer." There's, there's definitely someone in there who's, you know, right, a professional or or, or under the radar, or whatever it is. But yeah, I, I wow. felt really gross about this. Um, and also, the I said it was comical. It's so comical in that how the hell did you think this was going to work? Right. Well, dude, I yeah. I don't know. I guess maybe it's a crude, tasteless humor thing on my part, too. But that reminds me of uh, that Johnny Knoxville movie, The Ringer. Now I that was going to bring that, that up. That's, <laughs> that was, I'm pretty certain that was entirely based off this, this event. Okay. It feels like it because this, yeah. this predates The Ringer by a few years. Um, and that is a horrible film. <laughs> yeah. It's terrible. Um, it's like oh, most, Johnny most Knoxville. Most of his stuff is pretty horrible. I, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> it was of all the things Johnny Knoxville has done in his career, that's the one that I was like, oh, I don't really, not really interested in even watching that. But like, <laughs> it, the idea that it's a comedy where Johnny Knoxville pretends to have disabilities, like really quite serious uh, learning dis disabilities, because he thinks, oh, I can easily win a gold medal against these Paralympic athletes. They're, 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 you know, they're disabled and I'm not, blah, blah, blah. And then he tries and actually loses um, yeah. and then has to come out and, oh, he learns a lesson along the way that you shouldn't try and con people out of really important opportunities. For them. It's like, this is not a funny film. 
this is kind of like oh this is really uncomfortable watching yeah it could it's kind of could have been like this is what the best outcome that could have happened from this real life situation but it yeah. didn't because they it suck. didn't yeah <laughs> and like the first game they're 30 points up by half time and the coach is like what the fuck is wrong with you? so you know um that sucks i know it's, <laughs> it's kind of crazy to stack the deck so heavily in your favor there was always going to be someone that knew and for it to break like this it basically ended careers so yeah i do feel extremely sorry for the athletes that missed out on genuine ability competition as a result right. of the action of these 12 to 13 slash potentially more because who knows who is complicit on the organizational side i mean apparently doctors were and apparently six six push-ups and a, a fucking blood test is enough to get you on the team but yeah yeah because <laughs> um, so they can that, tell that your blood pressure is different if you're learning disabled. oh yeah you know yeah you, you you must have learning <laughs> difficulties your blood pressure is off by three points what the fuck that doesn't make <laughs> any sense um so that was the spanish men's paralympic basketball team from the 2000 sydney olympic games who faked disabilities in a horrific and disgusting manner and i also just i i, I haven't I don't really know how to phrase conversations like this because I am kind of ignorant of, of this world. So I apologize to anyone if I've offended anyone by saying, like not using the correct term or, or correct phrases or anything like that. I do apologize. But I felt like this was an important thing to cover because um, it, it, it's, again, it's one of those situations in the world where someone thinks they're trying something that's foolproof. But if you take even a second to analyze it, you know it's not going to work. Right, So that's kind of the true benchmark of idiocy, that you can't see the fault in your own plan. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess this guy who owns a yacht and a bunch of houses, he's probably been getting away with schemes of some nature for a while now. So he's like, ah, well, fuck it. Why can't I? You know? Right. Yeah, he's it's just, the, I, get, I got away with it already. Why wouldn't I just keep yeah. getting away with it? It's, it's like Bill Burr says, like the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing. It's like, this guy who couldn't speak any English and said, uh, I'm going to be the biggest bodybuilder in the world, comes over to America. Like, you've got to be out of your fucking mind. He does it. And then they're like, oh, what next, Arnold? Oh, I'm going to be the biggest action star of all time. There's no fucking way that's happening. You sound like an idiot. And then, boom, <laughs> he does it. He's the biggest action star of all time. Then what's next? I'm going to be the governor of California. No, you're fucking not. You have no political background whatsoever. <laughs> boom, he does it. It's like, and then Bill Burr jokes, why wouldn't he think that he could fuck his, his maid and get away with it? You know, right? Because he he got into that stage already, where he's like, "I am untouchable." So he, he he bought into that. If you visualize it, yeah. You know? If you visualize it, it happens. Sometimes, if you visualize it, you 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 might need to get glasses. To be honest, <laughs> because you might be well off. Um, so that's that's our episode for this week. Slightly slightly short. We managed to make it over an hour and twenty. There's me joking. Look at how much we talk. We like the talk. Um, yep. So we've got um, Tenet, the second worst thing with the name Tenet in it behind that terrible film that came out a few years ago. Um, you know, you're not, oh, this is a, oh, you don't remember this. This no. was a, um, a release during lockdown. This is a Christopher Nolan film that sucks. Do you know how rare that is? Okay. It's I... called Tenet. It's got, oh, Christ, Robert Pattinson in it. And it's like a story of a spa. It's like a James Bond thing, but time is going backwards and forwards at the same time and there's like weird effects going on and cars <laughs> are rolling and it's terrible it's okay. like imagine if you took all the more the most confusing parts of um oh what's that 
dream one that he did. The crazy Inception. Oh, okay. Take all the confusing parts of Inception and take out all the charisma of the actors and the interesting action scenes. That's Tenet, basically. It's just like, what the fuck is this? I guess Um, I'm glad I missed it. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's, do not watch that film. It is bad. Uh, So George Tenet, the architect of really quite significant deaths in the world following and before the September of the 11th attacks. And the Span- I have to read this every time. The Spanish men's Paralympic basketball team for the 2000 Sydney, Oli- Sydney Paralympic Games, who 10 out of 12 of them did not have any disabilities whatsoever. And the coach knew it. And the person who put the team together knew it. So we have a 93 and an 88, another high scoring episode. Um, Derek, how did you find researching George Tennant for this one? Um, it was, God, there's so much on the guy. Uh, yeah. I- I skipped over part of what I was going to put in, out there anyway because there's right. so much. He was, I'm sure, he was so incompetent. So incompetent, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So bad. There are pages like Wikipedia has to be expanded because of this one man's lunacy. And I think that uh, who God who played him in the Looming Tower, a Baldwin. Yeah. Oh, one of the Baldwins. Yeah. Okay. Is it the one that accidentally shoots people, or is it the one that nobody yeah. remembers? I, th- I think it was the one. That, I think it was Alec. Yeah. Oh, poor Alec. Right. Yeah. He's not looking so good at the moment. Uh, yeah. That was I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that was... Uh, I do have to watch that. The Looming Tower. I have heard of that. Um, and yeah. And then you got this. I, I, I watched a video on it on YouTube. A lot of my inspiration comes from like kind of random interactions with online media. And um, yeah, I was just like, I, I kind of can't not cover this because i have to cover it because this is so stupid this is this one of the stupidest plans i've ever heard it's such a yeah. high profile event you think you're going to game the system because you've been getting away with it in your own country for so long like that doesn't make any sense take it so, international yeah it's going global <laughs> um so that's an our episode for this week I, I really enjoyed it um thank you guys so much for supporting us uh we've had a couple of people in the chat thank you so much for dropping by and um derek would you like to say goodbye please thanks everybody bye Thanks so much oh i should do my the call to action i always forget oh. the call to action what's the matter with me uh <laughs> if you'd like to follow us on twitter go to at greatest idiots on twitter and instagram it's at history's greatest idiots and if you go to patreon.com slash history's greatest idiots you can throw us some cash and help us um, support this wonderful podcast that's now yeah. well into forty episodes deep. We're doing we're doing really good, and we're getting lots of plays, and we're hoping to make some moves that will possibly make it easier for us to to kind of keep an eye on what's going on with our podcast. But we can't talk about that just yet. But I promise, as soon as we've made the move, uh, we will dish the dirt on some of the the interesting things we've had to deal with from this podcast that has nothing to do with us and everything to do with the people that are supposed to be helping us. Anyway, thank you guys so much, and we will see you again in a couple of weeks. Goodbye.